intersecting and shared through personal stories. My name is Benny Collins, and each week I invite a guest to choose three songs that have shaped their life in one way or another, and to share the stories behind these songs and the meaning that they hold for them. Outside of this podcast, I work in the field of sports psychology as a mental performance coach, meaning that I support athletes, performing artists, uh, executives on working through any sort of mental barriers and obstacles they might be facing. Uh, also, those that are returning from injury. That's an area that I've really gotten a little more excited about putting some energy into is focusing on how to best serve those that are bouncing back from any sort of injury. Um, but helping all these different kinds of populations and demographics optimize their strengths to in turn help them fully realize their performance. And a mental performance tip or concept that actually jogged my memory of this, uh, or my memory was jogged of this specific idea and tip during my conversation with this week's guest, actually. So shout out to that person, which I'll be introducing her momentarily. But the, the technique or the, the idea itself is just the power of space. And that's an example right there saying the power of space, waiting a couple of seconds, there's like a there's like a feeling there. You may have been able to tell where I left it wide open with nothingness. And space can be kind of powerful. Thinking about it from a musical standpoint, if a guitarist is playing some sort of power chord and they just let it ring out and they don't follow it up with any sort of other chord or note or any other subsequent part of the riff that they were maybe playing earlier in the song, there's power there it can have a pretty dramatic effect. Uh, another instance might be with uh, a bass player playing a bass line and they're playing a simple bass song that repeats and repeats, let's say four, four time, repeats every eight bars. But what if that, that bassist takes out a couple of notes immediately by leaving that space? It's gonna give it an entirely different feeling. It just, it, entirely different feel. It could just alter the change or alter the, the, the sensations and the feelings of just the rhythm section as a whole and may impact the other band members in a different way. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff, but comparing this to uh, more of like an athletic setting, let's think about a weightlifter for a second. Maybe uh, she is stepping up to do a power clean, but with, you know, she goes right from her warm up. she steps, steps up to the bar, grabs it immediately, does the power clean, regardless of the results, I'd be very curious to see how that goes. Because oftentimes when you think about people in a weightlifting competition, many of them do a warm-up, they get onto the platform, they may be standing in front of the bar, taking a couple of deep breaths, they're gathering themselves before they even touch the bar. There's an entire routine for, for high-performing weightlifters out there that do this, where they'll just literally take space that take a couple of seconds of breathing, gathering themselves, just feeling grounded in their bodies, where they are feeling very present. And then they put their hands in the bar and then they do the lift. And that's just a, a sports specific example. Uh, one outside of sports, which is something that I have learned to use in my own life, uh, which is in tough conversations, the power of space. And by that, I meaning, I mean, just if you're having a tough conversation with a friend, a loved one, or, or whoever it might be, um, rather than just being like a freight train, just talking and talking and talking, getting these ideas out really quickly. And maybe you're in an argument, you keep talking, keep talking, and things are just coming out. You sometimes don't even realize what you're saying. And you sometimes may say something you didn't really mean, or you didn't mean to say. The power of leaving space and taking a second, gathering your thoughts, maybe taking a deep breath, like a weightlifter, you can kind of continue on in that conversation with a little more of a level head and begin to mean and say what you really mean to, and to say. 
And oftentimes that can, that can be a difference maker when it comes to a tough conversation with someone. Um, whether you're trying to level with them about something or just, just trying to get on the, the same page or whatever it might be. So that's the thing I wanted to share with all of you this week is just the power of space, the space for other people, the space for yourselves to develop as they are. Just, just taking a second and having a deep breath and then coming back to whatever it is that you're doing. But space is something that wasn't really left in the conversation with my guest this week. And I am very, very happy for that because the conversation was so rich and so good. My guest this week, I was joined by Dr. Kiernan Steiner. Dr. Kiernan Kiki Steiner, DMA, she, they, see is a holistic vocal coach, choral conductor, and decolonization consultant and began her life journey in Ho-Chunk Nation lands in southwestern Wisconsin. Dr. Kiki is a recent graduate from Arizona State University with her doctorate in choral conducting, where her research focused on the implications and importance of pedagogical language and discourse in collegiate choral programs. Currently, she is offering one-to-one -one voice activation sessions that focus on helping individuals relieve stories of shame and connect deeper with their voices in order to facilitate self-led healing. For more information about her offerings, follow her on Instagram at decolonizing underscore Kiki and sign up for her mailing list at her website, www.kiernanmsteinermusic.com. This was, you know, you know when you hear about different kinds of medicine, music maybe, medicine, food is medicine. This conversation is medicinal for me. I've, I, I'm recording this 20, 30 minutes post that conversation. And I don't know if you can feel it or hear it in my voice, but I feel good. And the conversation that I had with Kiernan played a big part of that. And I really hope that with the, the conversation we have, specifically the stories that she shares, shares, and even more specifically, just the flat out wisdom that she, that she shares, talking about her own past experiences, the work that she's done within herself as a human being away from her work, but also in her work. It's incredible. It's magic. So I'm not even going to speak to it any more than that. I'm just wasting time here. You guys, here's Kiernan. Kiernan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Benny. It's great to catch up with you. You as well. I've been looking forward to this chat. It's going to be a fun one. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. You're one of my oldest friends. I don't know if that's what they say anymore, but we've known each other for a long time. And it's just really, uh, it'll be cool cool to talk about music with you that I don't think I've ever had a chance to share with others in this way. So I'm really, really pumped to share and also just hear your feedback and, you know, just because we know each other. Exactly. Yeah. And circle back, like, like you said, mm -hmm. like very long time, I guess for those listening, Kieran and I grew up in the same town, um, boyfriend, girlfriend in second grade, loving yeah, each other's you know. lives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, just from the very get-go, um, yeah. we're connected, so. Right, right, yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be fun. Um, but yeah, let's just start with some basics. How is your, your week going? So just before we hopped on, you told me you got your COVID booster, so yeah. how, how are you feeling? Um, I have had some side effects. I've had some like feverish chills and body aches, but it's starting to dissipate. And, you know, just grateful to have access and that it's free and all sure. of those things. So um, I'm just grateful to to have gotten it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. my week has been really great. I um, was previously in Wisconsin visiting my mom. And so just got back a couple days ago. Um, I'm now living in central Illinois on Kickapoo lands, um, also known as Taylorville, Illinois. 
Um, and I work from home. So I get a chance to create my day and, and build off my day however I need to. Um, and so I'm just, this was pretty much the only conversation that I had to have today, which is amazing. <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. And that's another great thing about working from home is like when you do go get a vaccine shot or a booster shot, you can like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to kind of take this next like 24 to 48 hours off to let my body recover. And mm-hmm. I can do that because I'm the one creating my day. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's what I've learned throughout COVID and the pandemic is um, that there is so much creativity uh, or that our creativity can really help us build the lives and create the lives that we want. And I am just feeling very privileged to be able to be in a space now that um, I do get to create my days how I want, depending on the energy that I have for the day. And um, yeah, just allowing myself to be a little bit more free from rigid structures in my life. Yeah. The autonomy is huge. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. That's what liberation is all about. Truly, truly. Yeah, I've, I think I've been working from home for three and a half-ish years. And the idea of doing a thing other than that is tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really is. It's such a different way of being in the world. And of course, there are times when I I probably get lonely, but, (laughs) um, but, you know, just again, being able to connect with others uh, like this um, and to expand the community online um, and to see that there's so many other ways to connect with our, our friends and loved ones. And um, so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun journey so far. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about these songs and these stories. Let's, (laughs) let's do a back handspring into these songs. Do you have any a preference into which song we start with? Yeah, let's do the wildflowers first. Perfect. Okay, so the way I sent them to you, I see them in kind of a timeline order of storyline as well. So if that helps. Perfect. And yeah, I was kind of thinking that like the chronologically, it seems like it would mm-hmm. fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about when I first saw this song by Dolly Parton, I'm like, oh, yeah. I remember Kieran having an interest with Dolly Parton mm-hmm. when we were in like high school. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and so I'm very curious, I guess one question is why this song out of all the Dolly Parton songs that you know, mm-hmm. um, but then also why Dolly Parton at all? Yeah, um, I was really ashamed of being so obsessed with Dolly Parton <laughs> because I was just this like little half Filipino girl listening to country music. And, uh, you know, I'm also a transracial adoptee. So I was raised in a predominantly white family and community. And so I was just really confused, really, why I was feeling so drawn to Dolly Parton. But the background and the backstory of that really starts with my grandparents Um, And so my adopted grandparents uh, were really influential in my life, helped raise me. You got to know my grandpa pretty well in those later years. Um, But my grandma was a Dolly Parton fan and she would call me Dolly Pumpkin um, when I was growing up. And so when she passed away, that was just something that was continued on. Um, And that led me into spending a lot of time with my grandpa one-on-one. So after my grandma died, uh, my grandpa would drive us around and we'd put in his old country CDs and we'd jam out. And Dolly Parton was just always one of my favorites. And so he bought me my very first Dolly Parton CD. Um, and that became, oh, I would listen to it on repeat, writing down lyrics, um, trying to figure out how to play it on guitar. And so that love with Dolly Parton really started 
young, very young, probably three, four years old, and then just continued throughout. Um, and I would say, you know, there's been cycles of my love for Dolly Parton, depending on the people I was around, because it wasn't the cool thing to, to love. Um, but her songwriting is all about storytelling. And her songs are all about her growing up in Appalachian Mountains in Tennessee and a lot of the poverty and the, you know, just daily life kinds of things that she experienced in her childhood or that her friends were experiencing. And that storytelling about home and life was so life-saving to me because I was seeing myself in her music. So actually one of her most famous songs, Coat of Many Colors, talks about that poverty, about her mother creating this coat of many colors out of many um, patches of, of fabric that she just put together for a coat. Um, and the rest of the kids laughed at her when she wore that mm. coat to class, um, to school. And so just always feeling like I didn't fit in, like I didn't have real friends, like I didn't have that support system because I felt like I was one of a few in our school. We were maybe one of three, maybe five uh, brown, black, BIPOC students in our grade growing up. Mm -hmm. And so that that experience just consistently made me feel like I wasn't enough. And so um, this song, going back to Wildflowers, is all about um, knowing inside that I was a wildflower, that I didn't belong because I didn't belong and that's okay. Um, but that I was able to, to use that creativity or that uniqueness that I found within myself to, to go out and see the world and to go and to pluck myself out of this garden that I found myself in of a bunch of flowers that didn't fit with me. Um, and I flew with the wind and allowed my music to really guide me and take me to different countries, meet different people. And um, just that sense of wonder and um, self-acceptance and love that she speaks about um, and just embracing that she didn't fit in. And for me, that was me embracing um, maybe the ways that I felt like I didn't fit in um, when I was just trying to be myself. Right. Yeah. Owning it, owning it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I can, mm -hmm. and I can, just from the way you're describing it and hearing the, like the tone of your voice, I can get a good sense. And also again, like growing up with you, I can get a good sense of how you would be feeling before listening to this song. So the feelings of maybe mm -hmm. not being accepted, feeling like you don't belong. When you'd play this song and you'd sit with it and really listen and sit with it, what mm -hmm. would you feel like after? Like what, what changes mm -hmm. would you notice post listening to this song? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a singer, so I'm singing with every every song that I'm listening to, and especially Dolly Parton songs. Um, but there's this one line um, where she just says, I uprooted myself from my home ground and left. And um, when I would hear that line growing up, that was just the, the call for me to say, you can get yourself out of here. You can go see the world. There's more out there for you, and you don't have to feel stuck here that you can uproot yourself. And it doesn't mean that you don't have roots, but that you can determine where you want to plant those roots. Yeah. And be self-sustaining too. And mm -hmm. that's you, just because you may leave this family that you have, doesn't mm -hmm. mean you can't exist happily elsewhere and be self-sufficient. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So really just thinking about how can we embrace our whole selves and um, recognize the beauty in our all of our uniqueness. You know, I, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, when I looked at my peers and my classmates, I wasn't blaming them or, you know, thinking that it should have been a different way, but I just knew that I wasn't meant to be there for the rest of my life. And so that was just kind of the song that I would listen to and say, she was able to get herself out of a lot of poverty in the middle of the mountains in Tennessee. And she, she created this entire career for herself. Um, that's built on, on, on her without any, um, you know, yes, she has the big hair, the, the fingernails and a lot of other things. Um, but she did that because it all remained true to herself. And so just to see her career, the way that she's, uh, uh, you know, she's largely responsible for the fact that we do have a vaccination for COVID. Um, Dolly Parton funded that uh, largely. And so just to see the ways that she's been able to keep herself grounded um, in who she is, but see that she was able to go all around the world, meet all different types of people and see that she has a responsibility to humanity at the end of the day. And so that's just been a huge inspiration for me to keep that sense of groundedness within, even while we uproot ourselves. Right. Because it can be both. We can't have Mm -hmm. both. And that's Mm -hmm. living proof right there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But so it sounds like she's kind of like an example setter or a trendsetter when it came when it comes to like the narrative of your life and the way you mm-hmm. live your life. What about for you as a singer? Because you mentioned you sung a lot to or sung along to a lot of her songs and specifically mm-hmm. this one. And so how did she, I guess, help you find your voice, if that's the right question to mm-hmm. ask? Yeah, no, I love that question. Because um, a lot of my work um, right now, I'm a holistic vocal coach. Um, and I work with others um, to help access their um, their voices, their throat space and clear and release uh, shame about their voices. Because that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years is trying and 10 years being um, the last few years of my um, music studies at the university level, um, really trying to perfect this instrument that I have in my body. Um, the last 10 years have been all about a certain type of technique, a certain way of singing, a certain way of being. And when I think about singing Dolly Parton, songs, there was just no hesitation. And there was so, um, it was just so different than what my schooling was like. And so my, the difference between singing a Dolly Parton song and how I've been trained to sing, um, to me, Dolly Parton brings me back to my roots. It reminds me of who I am. Like I did grow up in a small rural town of 5,000 people, um, in Southwestern Wisconsin, um, on Ho-Chunk Nation lands. Like there's, there is that rural country part of me that still also exists, but also there is um, the fact that she was writing in Irish and English ballads. Um, a lot of her songs are structured in that way. Um, and doing ancestry work, I am Irish and English. And so just knowing that through my ancestry work and genealogy um, and in reunion with my birth parents through the adoption, Um, I've been able to make all of these different connections of why I feel so connected to Dolly Parton and her music, um, because it does feel like she's, she's speaking to my heart and that it allows me to speak from the heart. Yeah. And sing from the heart. (laughs) Yeah. 
in turn, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it sounds like just from comparing the way you would sing to Dolly Parton's songs versus, um, you know, high school, university level, mm-hmm. post-grad or, or grad, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I like the word that comes to mind for me is a lot of regulation with the mm-hmm. way you sing. Like you've been regulated, we've been mm-hmm. conditioned. Exactly. And so, and so coming back to Dolly is kind of like a deregulation where you can kind of settle in, be yourself, sing the way that you feel, sing the way that you want in like mm-hmm. fully, just full expression to the max. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I have chills as you, as you share that, because that's exactly how I felt was just throughout my schooling. I just felt like I, again, was never enough. Like my voice was never going to be the right voice. Mm-hmm. It was never going to be um, put on an opera stage. I was never going to be the, you know, the soloist or whatever. Um, but yet knowing that singing and returning to this music, singing with a guitar, singing like Dolly Parton um, is so freeing to me. And and so to see that release come through these songs that, yeah, may, could be just uh, written off as a, a simple country song um, actually has spoken more to my heart than a lot of the choral pieces I've conducted. Hmm. And so how has um, my desire for success and what I thought the narrative was for a musician, how did that affect my creativity and my relationship with my voice? Um, And so um, through my work as a holistic vocal coach, I'm helping people just try and release themselves to listening to themselves sing and not shame themselves and just allow themselves to hear the sound of their own voice without shaming him and saying, oh, I, I should have hung up my singing career in third grade, or I should have, you know, so-and-so told me I should never sing again. Um, but helping people realize that this is a gift that we all have and have the right to use whenever we want. Exactly. And, and yeah, I started pointing at you because I was excited because mm-hmm. I was just like, yes, it comes down to, I feel like a lot of times, especially growing up, a lot of it comes down to the outside pressures of others that, you know, go back to conditioning, go back to regulating, mm-hmm. that just kind of modify and calibrate us to what they want us to be with the talents that we have. Mm-hmm. It was like, just because I was getting an A, I thought that was affirming of what I was doing. Like, yes, you're on the right track. Yes, you're on the right track. But what I realized was it was only right for them. Right. That was the right track right. for my my. And it's not saying that they were leading me astray or doing anything to harm me. But I hadn't fully listened to myself and what I wanted. I was just kind of giving away my power to everyone else to say, oh, is my voice good enough yet? Am I good enough to to have a career in music? And now my work is going back to those roots of singing and playing guitar, playing my ukulele, um, working with others that just want to sing a song and not feel bad about themselves while doing it. Right. And to me, like that's, this is healing my inner child. This is healing so much of what I've gone through in the last 10 years. Um, And so I just love returning to music that brings me back to my roots. And you mentioned before that it's the the music that brings you back to your roots is often very different than what you are, um, I guess, trained to introduce as a choral director. Mm-hmm, so how mm-hmm. have you how have you used this um, decolon- decolonization of your voice and music mm-hmm. in your work as a choral director? Has that kind of mm-hmm. entered in yet? Or are you still kind Absolutely. of in that lane that you've always been in traditionally? Yeah. So right now I am not a, 
a conductor for any ensembles at the moment. Um, but a lot of the work that I had been doing, so I just graduated with my doctorate in choral conducting from Arizona State University this past May. Um, and while I was finishing my last year, I was teaching beginning conducting and that was all on Zoom, by the way. Oh, <laughs> so gosh. we were still doing online classes and I'm teaching people how to conduct over a screen. Um, and so a lot of our conversations for me, I felt were ended up being a leadership class um, and really focusing on conductors, not as uh, a person that knows a technique with their hand that knows how to communicate this thing for music, but really a conductor of energy for the classroom that you're a part of or the community that you're working with. And so how do you engage with a large group of people? Sometimes choirs are 50, 55, 100 people sometimes. Um, so how do you as a single person stand up and lead all of those people by allowing all of that energy to come to you and inspire you and then not come back to them with a lot of authoritative directions about how they should sound, but how can you work with the community to determine the sound that they want to sound like or this to sing like they want to sing like. Um, and so a lot of my work now is um, the way I have been decolonizing my approach to conducting is thinking more about um, how I am conducting energy within my own body as a conductor of my own life. Hmm. And so I'm not so worried about how am I um, controlling these ensembles and teaching these uh, pieces of music and, and creating these concerts or whatever, but really thinking about each of us as individuals, as the conductor of our own life, and that we have this amount of energy within us, this creative energy within us that is, um, that can guide us through each moment of our day and can bring us back to the point of living. <laughs> which I don't think is capitalism, which I don't think is colonialism, but I do believe is learning about our unique gifts and what our purpose is in this world. And so um, a lot of my work is surrounding um, mindfulness, meditation, um, returning to the body, embodiment, um, movement, and singing, and all of it combined to help people release themselves from these structured, rigid um, ways of thinking and so um really expanding what the role of a conductor can look like um what a role of a public educator can look like um i've always been involved in public education i attended public school k-12 um and then again in grad school and you know i was thinking the track for me is to end up at the university um but then I realized that's not very public. There's only a certain few that get in and that's right. only for the people that are there. Um, but if I just have a platform that's available to everyone, whether that's through social media or just creating an online website um, and sharing this with the general public, how can I um, be even more impactful with the message that I have to share? I love that. Yeah, Ex expanding your reach and, and not in a way that's like obnoxious by any means. It's just mm -hmm. like, it's so earnest and authentic. And yeah. I imagine that's like one of the, the best tools in your toolbox when it comes to connecting and getting buy-in from, from students and people that are looking to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's really recognizing that singing isn't just for people that claim to be musicians. 
that singing is something that all of our ancestors did for survival to bring community together, to create rituals around. And that's how we soothed ourselves. That's how a lot of mothers soothe their babies is by singing lullabies. Um, we use the voice to uh, create so much healing energy for ourselves, even a yawn. Yeah. Oh, releasing that does something for our body. And so how can we utilize that knowledge for people that who, who never wanna perform? but still love to sing and still have this tool here that can bring them so much more peace and connection to themselves. Makes me want to get back to choir. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that. Oh God, Whew. man. Okay, well, before it's powerful we- powerful stuff. It seriously is. You've, you've got me moving over here. Um, before we Before we skedaddle away from Dolly Parton, mm -hmm. um, I guess what, what, actually I'll ask this, were there any other Dolly Parton songs that were kind of in the running for making it on this list of three? Yes, it was. Um, so I already mentioned one of them, Code of Many Colors. Mm -hmm. um, and just again, speaking to the experience of not, not fitting in, of, of bullying, it's a whole story about other young kids bullying each other and the trauma that that causes. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was another one. There's so many Dolly Parton songs. <laughs> she is one of the most prolific songwriters. Um, so there's just so many. But I would say um, what I do love looking back now um, into her archives of all of this music is seeing how much of a feminist she was um, in the music industry or is. Um, she doesn't use that term for herself. Um, but the ways that she was able to... Um, advocate for herself when she left the Porter Wagner show. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but he, Porter Wagner, um, did a TV, um, it was like a TV variety show and it was all country music. Different artists would come on and they had different skits and things. And Dolly Parton was the, the quote unquote girl singer that came on to sing duets with Porter Wagner. And she became very popular. Everyone loved her. And so she knew at a certain point it was time to go solo. And she wrote, I will always love you as her going away as her goodbye song to Porter Wagner. Um, and that song we now know with Whitney Houston just completely blew up and made her so made Dolly Parton so much money. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but, you know, just knowing that um, she was consistently making choices for herself that she knew would better her and her what she wanted to achieve and accomplish. And she never let anyone put boxes on her um, and contain her to be anything but who she is. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, she's like, it sounds like she's an absolute expert in having and taking control over her domain mm -hmm. and just overall decision-making it. Like mm -hmm. it makes you think of those bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What about mm -hmm. like WWDD? What would Dolly yeah. do? Yeah, always, what would Dolly do? She's always striving to do something in her best interest and never mm -hmm. seems to be swayed. Absolutely. She started the Imagination Library, um, which at first was just a um, service that sent books to um, any school-age kid within her county, Sevierville County, I think it is, in Tennessee, mm -hmm. um, but now is global. Um, and so anyone that signs up for the program gets, uh, I believe it's every month, a free book mailed to their mm -hmm. house um, because her father wasn't able to read 
was never taught how to read. And so just the impact that she's had because she was rooted in who she was and where she came from. And she knew how important it was to her dad that his children could read. And she wanted to share that with as many people as she could. And so just recognizing how these bits of our stories and our family life and our childhood and the, the different experiences that we have in our lives, how they can impact us in a way that gives us more purpose and can make a bigger impact on the collective. Right. Yeah. Because we take those experiences and we log those, whether it's, it's knowingly something that we're logging or if it just slips into our subconscious, but it's mm -hmm. always with us and we take it forth and mm -hmm. it comes out in the way that we behave, the way that we speak and interact with others. And it just makes us who we are. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think the, when we can embrace all of ourselves and like you were saying, like Dolly is the expert of herself, when we become experts of ourselves and let go of trying to be experts or controlling anyone else, I think that is really when we can start to feel that freedom in our lives, because we know we have the capabilities to, to make it happen. And it's, it's just so, like you said, it's very freeing. It's also a really good way to conserve energy because it is exhausting <laughs> trying to play music to somebody else's score. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Trying to regurgitate something perfectly when it's like, maybe I have an idea that's right. special, that's important, that hasn't been written down yet. You know what? what can we do to expand what we believe is excellent in the art world? What can we expand about um, our own ways of being with music that doesn't require it to ever be a performance or to have an audience um, for it, but just to allow ourselves to express ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's, oh, yeah, that could be like an episode right there. We could just <laughs> cut this and just be done. <laughs> I love it. But I, we got to get to these other songs. Know, There's just so much more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's cruise along. OK, so cool. this next one is mm -hmm. Praise to the Lord, sung by your former choir that you're a part of, mm -hmm. the Millican University mm -hmm. Choir. Mm -hmm. So when I listened to this, um, I found it on YouTube, listened to it a couple of mm -hmm. times. My my first thought was, why this song? Because mm -hmm. as someone who's in choir throughout undergrad, that's four years of singing all these different kinds of songs. So first mm -hmm. question, why this song? So Praise to the Lord is the anthem song for Millican University Choir. It's sung at most, if not every concert that the university choir performs. Um, and so it was a song that I strived to be able to sing. I worked really hard to get into that choir um, in my four years of, or three and a half years in, in college before I did my student teaching, I worked really hard to get into that quote unquote top ensemble to be in the most auditioned choir and to sing that music. Um, and to achieve that and the experiences I had with that song, um, because it was one that we repeated over and over and over again, um, just started to, to have its own meaning each time I sung it. So every line, uh, a different line would come out and highlight itself to me when I was performing it each time that I would be with the choir. And so there's a lot of, when I hear that song, um, remembering that time of my life of being like 20, 21, 
and really questioning who I was, you know, really questioning mm -hmm. like my purpose, because it's like, you're supposed to be this teacher, you're going off and having an impact on other people. And at 20 years old, that's really overwhelming. Um, and so this time of my life when I was in choir, I was singing in choirs every day, sometimes three, four, five choirs at a time. Um, singing that song and having that experience of community and singing about joyful praises and that that was enough that joyful praise and singing to you know yes it says christian lord um but i think of that even expanding of just spirituality of god universe um spirit um mama gaia mother earth whatever your um higher power may be i saw that as an opportunity to just feel joy while singing and to just root myself really deeply into the freedom of what it's like to sing your praises for something to something and to give reverence to some things so i think it was a lot about giving reverence for to the people i was singing with there was a lot of um respect that i had for my conductor at that time and i felt like that was a very much a part of the relationship of um, helping me see that I wanted to be a conductor or go al along that path. And so, yeah, it was, it's a lot of growth. When I, when I hear that song, I just think of myself at that time and, and the so many tears that were shed while singing that song, because I wasn't, I didn't know if it was really possible to just sing and feel happiness and to be free in my day-to-day -day life, because my life was so structured and rigid and so many expectations and my inner dialogue my inner critic was just at its peak um and so how that song allowed me to realize that let the people sing amen <laughs> let <laughs> us just praise the fact that we're living and capable of being here together and making these sounds together be enough for this moment and i imagine there was there had to have been some sort of communal energy being felt across everybody in the choir mm -hmm. when, when singing that song you said there's a lot of tears for you did you mm -hmm. notice um, whether it was in rehearsal or at the performance did you ever notice anybody else that also was feeling that emotionally charged mm -hmm. absolutely um and for that song um because it's one that's been passed down from choir to choir to choir it's expected that you memorize that by the first concert of the year um so it's a really quick learning process but once you do um once you perform it the choir holds hands while they sing that song I noticed and that. so that um that experience to feel energy from other people when you hold their hand um, sometimes you hear you feel um a hand squeeze on a on a line that you never thought about and you're like oh that must have meant something to them maybe i could sing it differently or maybe i could sing it to mean something for my friend that i'm holding their hand um, and so there is that sense of collective um relationship that is so important for a choir to be able to perform well because you have to be so 
in tune with an, with one another without using words. Um, there's so much nonverbal communication um, that when we were holding hands, it was like you could feel that energy surging through all of us. Um, and you know, many people in the in the choir were not uh, religious or spiritual, um, but still felt a connection to that song because there was that sense of tradition and legacy that comes with that song um, that feels like it's a lot of responsibility to sing this song and to sing it well because it's respect to previous choir director choir directors choir members and then also for the future of the choir to say i want this choir i want to sing really well so that others are inspired to do this too um, and so yeah there's there's so much of the interconnectedness that is so important yeah. Would you say this was this would be one of the most influential songs for you as a singer at your time at Milliken? Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a picture of the lyrics um, that's hung up on the wall as you uh, walk into the choir room and walk out of the choir room. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if I really knew about it while I was there, but I know about it now as an alum. <laughs> and um, that it's, it's so present, right? Like it was just, it was part of our choir day, whether or not I knew it or not. And so there was just this energy, this foundation of, um, we always call it like, this is our core sound. When we mm -hmm. would sing praise to the Lord, like this is our core sound of a choir. Any other piece, we may adjust our tone, our timbre, our volume, dynamic, whatever um but when it comes down to praise to the lord this is when we have full-bodied singing and um we're singing with good resonance and a lot of space but at the same time just singing in and really feeling the the power of the voice in that song yeah yeah it's i love that that it's like like you said the core it's like mm -hmm. the home base, like it doesn't waver mm -hmm. in any way. It's a carbon copy every time, but a carbon copy for good reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also knowing like with it being vocal music um, and with it being humans that are making this music, it's a cappella, meaning there's no accompaniment, there's no orchestra or piano being played with it. Whoever is there on stage as, as the choir is what you get that day. Mm -hmm. So if you're missing somebody because they're sick, they're out, it's a whole different sound. And so it really starts to make you realize how important every single person is to the collective whole and the collective sound. Um, and that really started to build, you know, really my whole philosophy of how I wanna live my life. Um, it's, that it's more about the collective. It's more about what we can bring together with our gifts and our strengths and support each other in our, our weak moments that that's when we can create magic. And I think choral music, vocal music is some of the most magical things that I've ever experienced because a conductor can just breathe and give a cue and you have an entire song um, with just human voices um, with all of these different harmonies and, you know, resolute, uh, yeah, consonants and resolution and all of these different experiences that you're feeling so viscerally because your instrument is in your body yeah like i and i know that specific um kind of the moment you're describing where the conductor may be just doing like a like a quick inhale mm -hmm. and like i remember that being a cue just being in choir and, mm -hmm. and even just playing music with friends there's even still it's it's just such like mm. an automatic and i love the way that you do that because the 
what I've been talking a lot with my clients is the word inspiration. So breathing is the foundation for everything, right? For living, for singing, for sports, like you have to be grounded in your breath. Mm -hmm. And we have words like respiration, inspiration that are all connected to the breath. So inspiration, when we inspire and we intake that air, we are taking in that inspiration. We are inspiring ourselves just by breathing, just by bringing oxygen to our body, by bringing oxygen to the brain, by being silent. (laughs) by um, allowing ourselves to just focus on the breath relieves the brain of so much that we can be inspired and create something brand new that we didn't even know was within us. And so I think what is so beautiful about talking about the breath and um, how we do that is that we can inspire one another by just breathing. And there's definitely that conditioning. It makes you think of just human conditioning over years where if even if it's not even in a musical context, if, you know, Mm -hmm. let's say you and I and three other people are sitting around a table eating food. If you hear someone go, immediately, we're all going to turn and look because we know they're Mm -hmm. about to give something. They're going to say something like whether it's something positive, negative, it's what we're preparing because we know that there's something coming. And I just find that so fascinating that, you know, out of, out of musical context, it's there and so prevalent and so powerful, but in music, when you do that as a conductor in front of 50, 75, 100 people, it means something where it could be the posture gets a little stronger, the vertebrae mm-hmm. gets a little more aligned, open up your lungs, and in unison, mm-hmm. a power comes out. Yeah, there's nothing better in my world. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It just, it mm-hmm. takes me back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So fun. Wow. Now I just want to like go and do like a milk university deep dive and just, yeah. <laughs> just slip, sip some, you know, tea. and I will say, um, my relationship with choral music has really changed. Um, so my research at Arizona state university was in decolonization of choral music. Um, and so the way that I was engaging with that was really, um, pinpointing some of the ways that we have misused language, um, in, Western European choral ensembles that have have made people feel like they aren't enough and have shamed people or have kept people out um, that haven't you know reached a certain certain standard or a certain excellence of being. So as I was mentioning, you know, when I'm thinking about teaching classes at a university, it's only for those students that get into that class, get into that school. Um, And so I think there's a lot that we can learn from choral music of communal singing and coming together um, and using the breath as a way to inspire one another, um, while also acknowledging that there have been a lot of systems and structures in place for choral music that have harmed people, that have, you know, created cultural genocide, that have um, taken people so far away from the music of their culture and their ethnic origin. And so just knowing that we have to hold multiple truths while talking about things, um, I just want to share that as uh, a choral conductor that I am constantly um, reflecting on my relationship to music because I believe music is something that can help unite us and bring people together, but also it has been used as a tool to 
divide and to conquer. And yeah. so just to be aware that um, music is beautiful, but it can, it is, a, again, it's been a tool for, for harm in the past. Yeah, and how do you, and then you mentioned just being a choral conductor and, and the, the thoughtfulness that you take when it comes to maybe picking out pieces, but then also mm -hmm. understanding who's in your choir. When you, when it, I guess I'll just simplify the question that's rattling around in my head. Sure. What is the process like for you to pick pieces now? Well, let's say you, let's say you have a, a choir of 30, 30 people. What's, what's kind mm -hmm. of decision-making? What, what goes in the process of picking a piece that feels ethical for everyone and mm -hmm. feels like it provides equal equity to everyone and everyone feels represented? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, really looking at those 30 people and who they are number one. So um, not coming into a group that I've never met with a preconceived concert, because maybe that doesn't work for them. Maybe they don't like that music. Um, so not coming in with all the answers, but coming into an ensemble as the conductor with a lot of questions, a lot of questions about what do they like to do? What do they like to sing? Um, what kind of cultural backgrounds do they have? What is within this community that we can highlight and, and show through our music making, um, show that we're stronger because of this diversity and show because we have this um, deeper connection through music that brings this diverse group of people together. Um, so asking a lot of questions, number one, but also what I'm thinking about a lot lately is um, allowing singers in my choirs to consent to songs. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I have not heard that language used a lot with other choral conductors um, because that's really scary when you're like, oh, any any song you could just opt out of. Um, but I think that it's really important in these days when we are more aware of like trauma informed pedagogy and consent based pedagogy that we give our singers, our our choir members the opportunity to speak up if they are uncomfortable with something. Um, so for, I'll give an example. Um, I was teaching the treble choir at ASU during the um, COVID pandemic, we were online. And so I had this idea to do a piece by Jake Runestead called Please Stay. And that song is made up of um, tweets that um, were written by people that were struggling with mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so it was a pretty heavy song. Um, you know, the word, the title of the piece is Please Stay. So um, it's saying, please stay, no, don't go. We are here with you. Um, so it's really about like the support system um, that can be there for you um, if you are struggling from, with mental health or mental illness. And so a lot of our conversations um, while rehearsing that song, um, you know, just was about what is what are our families dealing with these days? How can we support one another and listen to one another, be there for one another while we recognize that we've never experienced this before? We've never experienced quarantine like this in our lifetimes before. Um, but I allowed my students to consent to each rehearsal of that piece and consent to the virtual recording of that piece. So again, it was a virtual situation. So there's more flexibility with that. But I wanted them to know that I didn't expect them to have the capacity to talk about mental illness every single time that we rehearsed that piece, because I didn't know what they were experiencing five minutes before they came to class. I didn't know what they, you know, 
there are so many things that I don't know about my students at the university level when they just come in for that, you know, maybe hour and a half to rehearse um, that I wanted to give them that freedom and autonomy to say, I can't do this right now. It's not that I am that I hate the song or that I don't want to be a part of this group or that I think this is a bad choice, but I just don't have the capacity for that. And then I don't have to take that personally as the conductor um, because it's not my life to control. Right. <laughs> and so when I released myself from feeling like I had to please everybody in the choir, please everyone all the time, but give them choice, that seemed to feel a lot more um, comfortable and a lot more me at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it makes you think about space in in the way that I mean we mentioned before that Dolly, you know, there are moments in her songs where she leave a lot of space. A lot of mm -hmm. musicians they leave space in their songs. Mm -hmm. And that can be so powerful because it, it can really like when a note hangs and it just sits there, it's just like, oh God, like that's like nestling in my soul right now. Mm -hmm. But I think in the same context of what you're describing, you're also leaving space for your students. And that allows them to take the time they need to build themselves up or just get with a close friend or loved one to get mm -hmm. supported, to get built up. And they can come back to rehearsal or performance feeling more refreshed and grounded. And then they can be a part of whatever it is that you're making that's beautiful. Exactly, so exactly. I just, space, just space. It can be so powerful. Space, yeah, absolutely. And just knowing that, you know, if somebody, somebody in the choir wasn't able to rehearse that day or perform on the virtual recording, that that's not something that I need to worry about whether or not they have a grade in the grade book for, or, you know, I'm very much more interested about humanizing my students, mm. allowing them to humanize themselves within the classroom and not um, me as the conductor treating them like singing robots where they just have to do because I say, um, because that's what a lot of my experiences were not you know, in a necessarily a bad way, but that's just kind of the tradition of choral music that whatever the conductor says you do. And I'm just really in a place right now where I'm ready to imagine what it would look like if the conductor was just a knowledgeable leader, guide that can right. help others sing their best, express what is on their hearts um, and not have it be this, um, really rigid, like, oh, have to put a concert on stage within four months and do it over and over and over again until we hate the music. Um, I'd rather just help people be themselves and to use music to explore their identities and their emotions and then express that, get, it, get that energy out of the body so that we can, again, find our breath, return to ourselves and be reminded that we are enough. Right. We are enough just as we are. Yeah. Yeah. If only, if only more leaders in our lives in different contexts would take that, take that methodology of, of showing us a way instead of showing us the way. And it's, mm. the, and it's this way. It's like, just, exactly. just show me a way. And maybe I can mm. learn a little bit of that, that I like and bring it into my own methodology or practice. Mm -hmm. So I can mm -hmm. further that and build that up. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I love that. And just knowing that it is a practice, you know, we say like doctors, it's a practice <laughs> um, for doctors, like it's not a set thing. It's same thing, like we, we are really just practicing living every day, you know, <laughs> can we give ourselves <laughs> some compassion and grace for the fact that like we we don't know 
every day what's going to happen, but we do it. And um, that's a that's a lot to to process in our day to just always be on alert and always be thinking about the next thing, being so connected to our phones and our computers and Sometimes I use that like email and text as like my own little video game because it just keeps that chaos and stress alive. Right. But then realizing how much more peaceful I am and free I feel when I can release myself from that um, that cycle and that pattern of living, but just imagine a different way of being. Exactly. Yeah. Just just detaching. And oh, detaching. Yes. Mm-hmm. Life lessons today on this Wednesday. Life lessons. You know, <laughs> <laughs> one after another. We just keep them coming. Right. We are stacking them up. It's it's massive. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's keep cooking along. Let's get to yeah. this this third track, which is called "I Just Want to Live" by Kule Music. Is that yeah. right? Pronouncing that correctly? Kule. 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 Okay. I believe you pronounce both of the, the use. Um, yeah, this song is, so I've been seeing these songs in chronological order where, you know, Dolly Parton was my uh, childhood growing up in, in Southwestern Wisconsin. Um, the Milliken song was my college years where that really set me on a trajectory to get my doctorate in choral conducting. Um, but I just want to live is where I'm at today. So um, I chose Kule because she's one of my favorite artists that I've learned about in the last year, year and a half um, with Hawaiian ancestry and um, also just connecting with um, my own Filipino and Hawaiian. Let me rephrase that. My Filipino ethnicity and Hawaiian culture. Um, I have family that lives on the island of Oahu, um, but ethnically I am Filipino. Um, but connecting with all of that and and reclaiming that for myself when I felt like I couldn't for so long because of my adoption and being my proximity to Hawaiians was very distant. Um, but yeah, this music has just come into my life and has been speaking to, to really what's been on my heart, which is about, I just want to live. I don't need negative energy. I don't want to continue feeding into negative energy. I just want to live. And um, she talks about, she says the word colonization in the song. And so, you know, for me, as um, I've created this social media account called Decolonizing Kiki on Instagram, um, this music that is talking about the things that I'm thinking about every single day Mm. is what I want to listen to. I want to listen to artists that are considering decolonization, that are doing that in their own lives so that the music and what they're creating is impacting my decolonization journey. Um, Because I really believe that we're so impacted by the music that we listen to that it helps create our own identities or we use music as a way to help um, process who we are in this moment. And this particular song is one that makes me, I wanna dance to it. I wanna be me. I wanna embrace this complexity that I find myself in. And I want to think about life as vibrations and frequencies and um, really uh, expanding my my approach to music, not as just a musician, but even a sound healer and thinking about the healing properties of of sound and vibration and frequencies um, hits on all of these um, in this song. 
Yeah. And it sounds like this, this song does bring about a little bit of healing for you. Mm-hmm. When did you notice that Kule music or another artist similar to her gave you a sense of healing? Because I would imagine mm-hmm. that when you and I were kids and you listened to this song or a song adjacent to it, it wouldn't evoke the same emotions or feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think for so long I was I didn't listen to music from Hawaii or Hawaiian artists because I felt like I didn't have the right to. I felt like um, because I wasn't raised in the culture that I shouldn't engage, which it sounds very silly now as I say that, but as, a, as an adoptee and with my experience, and I know other transracial adoptees especially experience this, but um, you know, just having that um, displacement, the experience of displacement, um, not having genetic mirroring in my family really made me feel like I, I shouldn't connect myself to the Hawaiian islands, Hmm. um, because that was, that would have been rude or, um, you know, not, not in alignment with who I am, um, which in reality, I was just ignoring a lot of who I am (laughs) and suppressing a lot of who I am. So listening, I wouldn't have even listened to it back then because it probably would have brought up a lot of shame and a lot of guilt for not knowing or being aware of the the music world in Hawaii or whatever it may be. Um, But when I listen to it today, it is, it hits me in a way that reminds me that I, I am who I am and that I can reclaim and declare that I am a Filipino from Hawaii (laughs) and that this music is important to me because it speaks on these issues that are so incredibly important to our society today. And that that's the kind of inspiration I want to have in my life for this work that focuses on um, feeding your soul rather than breaking people down. So, uh, I believe one of the lines is, um, yeah, are you feeding your soul? Are you focusing on the fulfillment of your soul rather than all of these other materialistic, capitalistic ways of measuring your worth? But, you know, what are you doing for yourself that can excavate that colonialism, excavate the the shame and the guilt and the harm that's been done to you for you to love and accept yourself for who you are. So, yeah. And I, it sounds like it, and maybe it wasn't just this song, but it sounds like this was maybe one of a few things in your life that showed you or introduced the idea of feeding your soul. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. even to stepping away from this song for a second, for a second, how how do you feed your soul at this point? Mm. Thank you for that question. <laughs> that is really, really beautiful. Um, and yeah, I wish we had more conversations like this in a day to day. But how do I feed my soul? Um, playing with my dogs, um, going outside for walks, um, playing music for fun, singing with my ukulele for fun without any sort of expectation about how it should sound. Um, cooking, you um, really like touching fruits, vegetables, putting a meal together, like with my own hands is, uh, especially when it's food from 
my ancestors, whether it's, uh, you know, Filipino food or Hawaiian food, if it's Hawaiian lao laos or pork adobo or whatever it is, um, connecting with my ancestors through food, through meditation, through talking to my dad about his family stories and um, family of origin um, so that I have a better understanding of how I got here today. And so for me, I've really been in the last few year, couple years with decolonization, focusing on excavating stories of my family that have helped me realize that what we feel in our bodies and what we experience so much in our bodies is a combination of ancestral trauma, trauma that we've that has been passed down from in our DNA from ancestors. So um, whether that's, you know, for me, it's um, Filipinos uh, mig migrating to Hawaii um, and having that displacement from the motherland and then also my adoption trauma, um, also intergenerational trauma, the trauma we experience between um, ourselves and our parents or other generations that are caring for us. Um, and we also have historical trauma, thinking about how we position ourselves today um, and, and in, especially in the United States on Turtle Island, where we are descendants of um, and yeah, descendants of a, a system that had enslavement and um, had a lot of violence and a lot of genocide and massacres that we have for us to even be here today is quite a miracle. Um, and that goes to the strength and the resilience of our ancestors. Um, but that we are managing a lot within our bodies right now. And so we have all of this trauma, but we also have a lot of resilience and a lot of ways that we can learn to cope with and heal from heal this trauma with our creativity, with um, speaking to therapy, therapists and having therapy and connecting with community and others that understand our story and hear us and see us for who we are. So feeding my soul right now is a lot of different things, um, but mostly it's about re-membering remembering mm -hmm. who I am mm -hmm. and the people that came before me for me to be here today. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great selection of things you're doing. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been a journey because in all of that, like I, I said, trauma probably 20 times in that last <laughs> answer, but um, you know, it's a lot of shadow work. It's a lot of looking at things and reflecting on things that have been painful in our lives. Um, but from that pain, finding purpose and finding, you know, the pain that I experienced in the university and feeling like my voice wasn't enough has completely inspired the work that I'm doing today with my clients, where I am their lifeline to say, you are enough, however you are. Um, actually, most of my clients, I when we work on Zoom, I have them mute themselves. I don't correct their intonation. I just in invite them to sing with me. And so a lot of our work just comes from um, just releasing ourselves from the expectation that we have to be perfect. Yeah, it's so liberating. Ugh. 
and that was actually you're, you kind of got into a little bit of, of another question that I was thinking about thinking about, which was how does this song or songs um, of this kind of origin influence your your practice now, but also how does it interact with the training and teaching that you had through your time at Millican and also at mm-hmm. ASU? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great question. What was the first one again? <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, first, how does it, um, how does a, a song like this or a song adjacent to this impact mm-hmm. your current work? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the, the music that I'm using with my clients right now um, is all, um, I wouldn't say pop music, but it's not choral music. Um, mm-hmm. I'm working one-on-one with people. So I'm sharing music where I can share it um, as a, me here on my side of the screen um, and they can hear it through their computer and sing along with me. So it's kind of like a sing along experience, Um, but really it's just me inviting people to sing along with me and to try these different practices that I've learned as a vocalist in school um, as different ways to strengthen the voice, to release tension in the body. So it's a lot of, you know, stretching and humming and lip buzzing and doing these things that singers do all the time. Um, But we kind of have only kept it, you know, oh, only for the singers that are going to put this on stage, get to do these types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, no, I think this is going to liberate a lot of people if they realize that they can clear energy in their bodies just by doing on their own every day. If, you know, you get stressed out and you find yourself needing to release something like the voice is like, what's the the saying, like releasing the pressure Yeah, within the body. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, it's like taking the taking that pin out and just allowing yourself to not explode like a a volcano, but like express yourself in a really free way that that doesn't feel like it has any right or wrong way of being received. Um, So this music is inspiring me to connect with music that returns me to myself, that helps my clients return to their uniqueness and their own um, stories and something that's more relevant to their day-to-day life. Yeah, You know, I think it's really about relevancy. Totally, it's something that they want to say that they also feel connected to. Mm-hmm. And that's some, not something that is so technically challenging that keeps them feeling like they can't access singing that song. Um, but all of the songs that I share, I really do believe are, are ones that are open to so many people to, to share. And, I, you know, I even encourage them, you know, if I'm singing this melody and you want to harmonize or you want to come up with another melody on your side of the screen, do whatever you want. Like, yeah. I'm just here to, to enjoy and to jam. And if you're inspired to do something else, then please do so. It's not going to bother me whatsoever. Um, you know, it's just like, let's allow ourselves to be and have fun and play. Yeah. The play. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that, that's what it always comes back to. Cause often, like mm-hmm. when we're, when we're kids, we, well, there's like no expectations of what we're trying to do. Like if we're a, a three-year-old singing mm-hmm. along to a, um, I don't know why this popped in my head, but that commercial Michael Jordan in like the early nineties where I think there's a kid singing, I just want to be like Mike. And like, this oh, is like yeah. a, a silly little jingle that's very easy to attach to and remember. And so like, I'm thinking about 
you know, three or four year old Benny Collins singing along with that, he doesn't give a shit what it sounds like. He's just doing mm-hmm. it because it's fun. Exactly. Exactly. It's just fun. Yeah. And can we just do stuff for fun these days? <laughs> truly, truly. Can we? Like, <laughs> that's a real question. Because sometimes <laughs> I think we make it hard. We make it hard because we expect everything to be hard. And I'm ready to let go of that expectation that every part of my life is going to be a, a real challenge. Because actually, there's a lot of things that that don't have to feel like that, you know? Right. When we're able to embrace our play, embrace our inner child, embrace these things that brought us joy when we were growing up and when we didn't have all of this conditioning and programming to tell us that we had to act and be a certain way. And now we're adults, so we can't do these silly types of things like sing or create with colored pencils or whatever it is, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of something that people always get told, or unfortunately people have told others, which is to grow up, which like, Mm -hmm. I understand what they're trying to say with that. But at the same time, I don't ever want to fully entirely grow up. And I don't think I ever Mm -hmm. will, fortunately. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad for that. I love that. Absolutely. It's so, it's so freeing to imagine not having to like, when I, when I hear you even say the words grow up, I think of like wearing tight clothes and being really rigid and tight in my body and concerned about everyone else all the time. And there's, there's so much baggage that comes with that phrase that you need to grow up, um, that I'm really ready to let go of. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes me just like, makes me immediately not want to feel things it's like grow up okay I mm-hmm. guess I can't like respond in an emotional way I am this stoic mm-hmm. statue mm-hmm. yes and I I was just saying this in a conversation earlier about emotions being energy in motion that's mm-hmm. what I've been learning about a lot lately is emotions are just energy in our body they are not good or bad they can actually be quite neutral it's just the way that we are able to identify what that energy feels like in our body and having language to express it without, you know, if we don't, if we don't have language, that's when the, the explosions happen, right? That's when we don't have control over it. When we, when it gets so pent up in our body that we just can't handle it anymore. But if we had language and ways to express the energy we were feeling in our bodies to others, and have it not be a judgment of whether we're being a good or bad person in that moment, how freeing that would be as well. Right. Yeah. The non-judgment piece. And it also knowing too, that emotions are incredibly informative. And that if we're mm-hmm. ever in a situation where, you know, we just don't know and we get like mm-hmm. a negative in- initial mm-hmm. reaction or something, it's like, okay, my body is very clearly telling me that something, something is wrong and maybe I should not mm-hmm. be here in this space, or maybe I need to speak up because like there's like harm was just committed in front of me or, or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. but yes. it's just, it's very informative. Absolutely. Oh, I love that because even with an an emotion being neutral, the neutrality allows you to reflect on what you're experiencing. Like as you were just like sharing those questions or observations. um, Yeah. It's like the, by releasing ourselves of that, we get to have time to respond how we'd like to rather than just reacting. Right. Yeah. Again, like taking the space, taking the time, 
and mm. react in the way that is best and that we would prefer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that pause, that breath, so important. <clears throat> Goodness. I hear we might have some, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're hearing this in the microphone. Faintly, I can hear something okay. faintly. Okay, I'll turn that down a little bit. It's the, it's like a mower, lawn mower or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it just started and it's like right next to this window, so. That is totally fine, okay. that is totally fine, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. So going back to this, this list of three, mm -hmm. what was it like coming up with this list of three? You're someone who's a lifelong singer. You play multiple, multiple instruments. Music is embedded in the fabric of who Q. Kieran Steiner is. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what was it like cutting it down to three? That's such a difficult, <laughs> difficult prompt. Um, but, you know, and even me, I was still stuck in a chronological brain like even me thinking like linearly um about the chronology of those songs to me i'm like oh, come on kieran you could be more creative than that <laughs> but truly <laughs> it was how it was just kind of how i felt was like i gotta have a dolly song because for me this is really a, a time to like reclaim all of these little bits of my childhood that you know at, at some point or another i really tried to hide and really tried to suppress. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want to definitely say that I'm a Dolly Parton fan. And it doesn't mean that I agree with everything that she's ever said or ever done or anything, but that her music has been a huge impact on me. Um, and that again, same thing with the Milliken song, Praise to the Lord. Um, you know, there's a lot of, it's a Christian song. It's um, a choral piece. It was sung by Millican University Choir, which is a choir at a private undergraduate school. Um, so what, you know, what does that mean for me? It again, just showed me where I was at that time in my life and that that's okay. And that that is really beautiful that it led me to the third song, which is, I just want to live. I just want to live my life. And it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, saying F you to everyone else, but it's definitely saying like what I have to say and what I want to do with my energy is important enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I'm a fan of chronological order. So I'm going to, I'm going okay. totally <laughs> to back you on that hardcore. Okay, cool. And, and the reason why is, is I think just because I've known you for so long, I do think about how with Dolly, it's like, this is the song that showed you the possibilities of singing and, and kind of representing yourself and supporting yourself. Mm -hmm. And then with Praise mm -hmm. the Lord at Milliken, this is the song that kind of represents how you fine-tuned, kind of sharpened your, your sword, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And mm. you just kind of became grounded in like learned teachings and, and yeah. things that are more, um, more of like a sophist type of approach. Mm -hmm. And then getting into, I just want to live, where it's just like, you know what, all that helped me become me, but damn it, I just want to live. And this is who I am. And here we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's exactly. a beautiful, a beautiful three chapter story right there. And, and I'm excited for whatever chapters Thank come you. next. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It, it leaves, it leaves me at a point now where I'm just excited for the unknown and excited to see the continuous evolution of who I am and not being afraid of the change because change is just part of life. Change is part of everything. And so just learning to embrace that and have compassion for all of these different past lives that I've had right. <laughs> um, of growing up in Wisconsin and you know doing the grad school thing and all this stuff. But 
at the end of the day, just being okay with who I am right now in the present moment is really all I, all I care about these days. Yeah. And it's arguably one of the best gifts you can give yourself to. Absolutely. And I really, really do believe that this is the, this is the time for us to really take these risks for me in my life. Like this is the time for me to, to see what is possible. You know, I think for so long I was subscribing to a track to a certain journey, a certain path that had already been laid out that, you know, you go to your master's program, your doctorate program, and you get a university teaching job, and then you're there for the rest of your life. Like it was already laid out. Um, but with COVID and the pandemic and, and taking us all, you know, working from home and starting to learn how to teach and create courses online, just really allowed me to expand my repertoire as a teacher and what I saw myself being even capable of. And so just allowing myself to be open to new experiences and not being an expert at everything. Exactly. That's great. (laughs) That's great. I have nothing else to say. That's a great, that's the perfect way to kind of to sum this all up. But Mm -hmm. there is always one question I'd like to ask at the end. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a sign off, which is, is there anything you're excited about currently or anything that you want to share to the the masses that may listen to this episode? Yeah. Well, number one, I'd love for anyone who's listening, who is on this wavelength with me to follow me on Instagram at decolonizing underscore Kiki. Um, And my website is www.kiernanmsteinermusic.com. But really right now I'm in a season of rest and winter and hibernation, um, focusing on my creative projects um, for the new year. Um, And I I am currently in open enrollment for uh, my voice activation program in uh, 2022. So you're welcome to book a free clarity call with me to um, talk to me about your goals with your voice and how you would like to create a deeper relationship with your voice. Um, And then our voice activation sessions are personalized and customized uh, as well as intuitively led um, with affirmations, meditation and intention setting um, along with just singing and enjoying the energy, the healing energy of sound. Definitely. And I will be sure to put those links as far as website, Instagram, that'll all be in the show notes so people can see that. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I just, I, I was looking forward to it so much because I didn't know where we were going to go, but it was even more than I was really expecting just the different tracks and trains that we, we went on were, it was really fun. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I love the journey that this last 65, 70 minutes was, it was was Mm -hmm. awesome. So I'm very appreciative and grateful of you and your time. Mm. Well, I'm so honored and any, any way to support a friend, I will, I will be there. So thank you for, for bringing me on this journey. And um, I'm so excited about this podcast for you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. All right. See ya.